We're back for season six of my podcast. I'm all about putting the human factor back into business by helping organisations become places where people are happy, well and able to perform at their best. And that's what my guests shed light on with their expertise and experience. As those who know me will be very familiar with, my mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. And that means we'll be covering a whole range of topics that impact on employee experience, engagement and mental well-being. And many of you will know that I hate tick boxes. So we'll be kicking those out, getting beneath the surface of shiny new initiatives, stripping back layers of complexity and going back to the fundamentals of good business. That's the people. This series runs alongside the launch of Leadership Labs and Manager Labs that I'm excited to be facilitating with the fabulous Gemma Ellison of Heart Leadership. These are interactive and dynamic communities that turn typical L&D on its head. If you are a manager or leader and want an opportunity to problem solve, challenge the status quo, experiment and evaluate all within a small supportive group, get in touch. More information and contact details are in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Lisa, psychologist, psychotherapist and founder of It's Time for Change. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Water Cooler. I'm joined today by Mike Brennan from Bob and he has something big coming and that's not a mispronunciation on my part. Um, those of you who, who know Mike will have seen uh, stuff on LinkedIn that's kind of tantalising us. Um, he's on a new adventure and I'm going to let Mike tell us a bit more about that. So welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Lisa. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm quite excited about engaging in this um conversation with you because I first met you uh through a colleague and friend of mine uh Gemma Ellison and I heard you talk uh, on the panel at Macmillan Live um where I was also uh joining in the conversation um and unfortunately I didn't have enough time to hear all the detail I want but you are someone who has, um, you're quite an entrepreneur. You've got lots of recognition for your success, including the Forbes 30 under 30. Um, you've explained yourself that you've learned every hard lesson in the book. <laughs> you've learned the, the hard way, you've learned for trial and error. You've learned what works, what doesn't work. And um, both for business, but I think also for yourself in terms of leading um, your ventures. And when I heard you speak a little bit, I was really inspired in terms of what you have learned and how to give those messages to other people because it's all very well kind of you know moving through life and going from one venture to the next but actually when we can pause and react in a different way going forward based on what's happened before and our response to it and then particularly when we can share those lessons with others I think there's real value in that um I'm not really sure where to start maybe I should just <laughs> ask you to um start by telling your story and the fact whether you want to start with where you are now because I know you're taking some time out to reset or whether you want to start from beginning whether you want to explain what Bob is all about what what yeah. what, what do you think uh, so thank you for that wonderful introduction yep lots of wonderful accolades that I'm very very proud of and embarrassed at when they're when they're said back to you but you take a moment to smile and say oh yes <laughs> that did happen a few years ago um the Forbes 13 to 30 I'm now 33 so I'm clinging on to that for dear life um so thank you for saying that because everyone will think oh we must be under 30 well I, I still am at heart but not not, not <laughs> at head and feet and certainly not with hangovers um <laughs> my journey started many many years ago I was bullied very heavily throughout primary and secondary school to the point which I didn't want to be here anymore and I was lucky in the sense that my mum was from Berwick-upon-Tweed in the northeast of England so if you know the northeast very very well it's the last town before you hit Scotland hmm. uh, in the in the northeast corner um, but I was living in Essex at the time with my my father's role and, and, and job um, and so we relocated from Essex to, to Berwick-upon-Tweed um, and I was given a chance to kind of go back a step. So through primary and secondary, it was just it was just hard luck of physical um, and emotional bullying. And, and, and at the time, social media had exploded. And so there was no escape in those early days. I mean, I just can't imagine what it's like to be a child right now, let alone how I felt back then when it was just starting. And it was only a couple of platforms. Um, and so I went backwards from sort of a secondary school in Essex to a three tier system in Berwick-upon-Tweed, which was a middle school. Um, and so I kind of went back into a middle school and therefore understood what was going to happen going into a secondary school. 
and found myself being uh, with an Essex accent at the time into a northeast area. Felt uh, they felt quite uh, safe in that sense. They thought the, the Essex boys come up from from to the north. Mm. Um, and equally, my experience of saying, you know, it's okay. This is what will happen. You, your head won't be flushed down the loo, and, and I'm very very nervous and starting up and making new friends. And was able to reinvent myself. Um, so very early on understood the the concept and idea of complete reinvention and uh, refreshing what you're doing um but also being aware of what challenges can affect and trigger mm. um fast forward a few years went to secondary school and was very proud of becoming head boy of Berwick academy and had a fantastic head teacher called steve quinlan who said what did you want to achieve and i realized that giving people a voice was was power in itself and actually my challenges came from losing my voice um in the other schools and so it was how could we help everyone to have a voice whether that be you know face to face over text over something to share their concerns and particularly the faster the concerns were shared the quicker there was a resolution and so all these awful stats in schools of one in 10 young people were looking to commit suicide um, between a certain age of 14 and 17 um, well, we could prevent that if we could find out why they wanted to do that or prevent those issues from coming so that led me to um, be with a friend, one of my best friends, um, who is also the co-founder of Toot Toot Limited. Um, and we created, which was called Toot Toot, T-O-O-T-O-T, uh, the world's first app for young people to report a concern such as mental health issues, bullying, racism, child abuse, anything at all directly to the school environment. So you had face-to-face -face reporting, you had child line on the outside, and we kind of became this digital uh, glue in the middle that removed the physical worry boxes. Um, fast forwarding, good. We we kind of grew that to six hundred thousand children around the world globally. There was a number of challenges which I can share in terms of kind of growth going backwards, COVID, government funding, and then not being funded. All these learnings of creating a financial and commercial model whilst doing good was a real was a real challenge in two flows. Um, that then led to lots of experiences from raising investment from angels to VCs to becoming a a CEO to growing a team of 20 um, to reducing to a team of 12 and what comes with that um, completely reinventing everything that we do um, and at that point we realized that our market was a little bit small and we need to reinvent ourselves so we created a secondary product called Stribe and I was actually very very proud of the team that we'd built in because they recognized this area and pushed me really really hard to say what else are we going to do and so Stribe um, was a staff engagement platform. It started off as an employee voice platform, but being blunt, lots of managers don't want to know what problems they have in their business. They're too busy trying to put up fires and grow businesses at a smaller stage. And compliance comes in from large public sector and private sector organizations of where do you start in terms of bullying and harassment concerns being reported. So we pivoted that to be a full staff engagement platform, um, which helped um, uh, managers to pulse questions to employees in real time particularly disparate workforces so those hard to reach groups of staff on the front line um, we created off the back of that the ability to have a voice so suggest ideas raise concerns in a balanced way we had smart resource hubs so it was very very difficult to find resources as a frontline worker on your, your internet so we made it really easy via an app and really work with employees and then we brought in shout outs so that ability at grassroots level to recognize and engage employees i suppose it was in that world where I realized my journey of sort of six years to that point of building to to I'd done a good job in some parts, but also an awful job in other parts. And, and, and I suppose we tried to commercialize the perfect engagement model, but from a technical platform that had people like yourselves and other amazing people that could help deliver the training and bring it to life. But the evidence and the data was there and the accessibility. Um, two more points and I'll, and I'll shush. Uh, the, the third point was um, I completely burnt out. So that's all a fantastic, exciting journey. Um, lots of learnings and lots of challenges and COVID on top of everything, just I hit a brick wall and didn't realize what burnout was. And so kind of tried to drive through it thinking I was exhausted and just crumbled. Um, and so that led me to take effectively reduced time for six months down to a couple of days a week. My team were fantastic in helping me to pivot. And my co-founder Kieran uh, took over as CEO and did an absolutely wonderful job. And I realized that I ticked all of the boxes uh, as part of that burnout. I'd also sort of given everything to those businesses. So have stepped back as a supportive shareholder. And with that time, wanted to do something completely different, wanted to learn some new skills. And so coupled all that together, have uh, in the process, excitingly, you're the first to hear launching Bob, which is the new way to wash your bits and bobs. So three key principles, 1.4 billion plastic body wash bottles are thrown away every year from our showers. 
and men have a pH balance of 5.5. Yes, moat market soaps are 8 to 10. Um, and the challenges that come with gloopy soap versus having a product that can house and refill and my want and desire to build a D2C brand because I've worked in B2B2C for the last 10 years has uh, launched me into a world of complete unknowns, but grown a fantastic team already from the start. So I hope that gives everyone a bit of a intro in the journey at high level. I'm feeling exhausted, Mike, just want to listen to that. <laughs> I just wonder, like, I'm really curious. I've got lots I want to pick up on, but just in terms of how you have that level of energy and drive and excitement when you have experienced burnout and you've you know getting a business off the ground you know doing the toot toot and strive and so on actually that they are that's big things to engage your your um your resources and so when you experience burnout how do you find that energy then just to pick yourself up and go right here's a new thing I'm really passionate about and I'm going to launch and commit myself to an extremely supportive and successful wife behind the scenes helps every man to pick themselves up and go again and not have time to to sort of mope um three parts to that going through university um I always wanted to run my own business I don't know why or what and I wanted to be a millionaire it wasn't necessarily for the money it was a a vision and a point and unfortunately my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's a number of years ago just as I was at university and so it became kind of this promise of I want to make a million pounds but it was more to deliver and that was a goal mm. and achieve um and so the passion came from the want to learn about business some people want to be footballers some people want to cut Beyonce's hair some people want to do uh the bare minimum and just whatever that is they are and and for me I just became so excited it wasn't a, it wasn't a job and my dad said to me job stands for just over broke and I've never ever forgot that phrase and saying um, as a foundation and so that inspired me to say well actually yeah, I'm going to get a job and earn x amount working on the golf course which I used to do per hour but I don't get paid for my holidays or I can create something that I can go to sleep and it still makes money in the background what would what would I rather do uh, you lose a lot of that because you're an entrepreneur you're a visionary you then have to become a CEO you then have to manage people you have to become a mother a father everything that you kind of aren't ready for you have to learn and adapt and you have to make decisions on 60 percent knowledge and you have to look after people and pay their salaries that are looking after their children and that 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 sudden stress if it's not structured in the right way creeps up on you and so burnout took the energy and the um naivety is probably a good word and you need naivety you need kind of blind vision you need uh, complete motivation that comes from the core to get through these things to people say it won't work it won't work it won't work it's like that's just your opinion but until you learn that it, it can be done just not in that way or however someone's saying it, it it will eat you alive and so the burnout took a lot of that away but what burnout allowed me to do in self-reflection once I got past the point of just always sleeping always being grumpy, always being exhausted, always saying yes to decisions that I should never have said yes to. Um, you think about what you're good at and what you're shit at. Excuse my language. Oh, sorry. Um, you can cut a bit up. Um, and, okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, and I realized I'm writing down a list, the bits I enjoy and the bits I enjoy are going from zero to A in a business, which would be kind of complete startup and structuring a brand and a vision and getting that core team together. And when I say core team, I mean people that just are as good as me, or if not better, in terms of you get it. I'm trying to get there. I don't know how. Just do your bit and come back to me with that. And 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 I'll give you the world if you give me half of that back. Um, but in terms of managing teams and being a manager, I am crap because I'm too busy trying to be the arrow of something to drive it forward, the visionary in the journey that I actually forget to stop and I become very, very bored and uh, worn out with people that give me problems. And there are always problems in businesses, but you have different ways in which you absorb. I like to understand the problem and have solution suggestions that we can proactively and positively work towards. I really get affected by emotion and negativity. So if I'm constantly told it can't be done before, I know I can do it better. Nine times out of 10, I'll go and do it that night and, and it will be 20% of what it could have been on the perfect model, but it'll be out there and it'll be done. Mm. And that will and has pissed off a lot of people that I've worked with or worked for me. And it's, it's a good behavior to have because you're demonstrating to try and get to the next stage for the team. 
but it's a bad behavior because you're not taking the time to communicate, to train, to learn those individuals. And so I think a lot of that came from, I hit a scale point of toot toot and strive, which was wonderful and successful. Mm. But for me, it was a blocker. And I was holding back my businesses and, and myself or punishing myself, I think, in looking back at this, that I should have made some decisions a long time ago and not felt like being the CEO is has to be. It's not, you know, you don't have to wear the captain's hat all the time. It's okay to hand over to a better person. And I think every business should support that and be aware of that, that you shouldn't be punished or or challenged if you say, I'm done or I can't do this anymore. It's very, very hard if, if some one of your listeners is sort of, you know, they are the MD and they don't have co-founders like I did or they don't have a board that was supportive. Where do you go? You know, you are the person leaving the ship, making the decisions. What happens? Does that just stop? Does that, you can't sell it? You haven't got time to do it. You haven't got the structure. So I think to answer your question in a long-winded way, it was only going through the hardest times of burnout for a number of months that allowed me to go, this is what I'm good at. And so... I've got two or three businesses that I'm setting up at the minute. One I'm involved in heavily, which is Bob. I'll be leading that one on the day to day, but I'm going to give myself time in that business to also have one or two chairmanships or support where I can continue to learn, but I can structure that kind of zero to a in that area to prove to myself. Is that, is that what I'm good at? Um, and also learn how to work better with people rather than it will be all right. Follow me and grow. There's, I've got to do some, some self-learning and understand how to better have patience. So how do you how how do you encourage and make sure that people are being honest with you? So you're as CEO or as someone who is an entrepreneur and you're full steam ahead, when people around you are experiencing uh anxiety around the speed of change or uncertainty or whatever it might be, and it's all the, it is the emotional stuff, it's the stuff that's playing on their mind and then potentially impacting on how they show up how do you get those people do you just not want to hear about it because you want them to go and report that to someone else or do you want to hear about problems um but in reality people aren't talking to you about the problems because they don't see you as being that person that they can go and approach and and i'm just interested in how you how you overcome that kind of barrier I i think it was a huge learning curve so I was very, very lucky in the early years that of Toot Toot that Kieran, my co-founder, is an incredible manager. Uh, he'd worked in previous businesses and is very, very smart and also emotionally intelligent. He's a he's a developer that can code and talk that we used to laugh about. And so he mm-hmm. thinks in ones and zeros, but but can can listen to everything and 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 work through those problems. So my job was always get out there, grow the brand, be the voice, be the visionary. And that's probably where the the lack of learnings come from because I was too busy. I can I can pitch to the uh, the crews come home, but you know turn that round. And so when I started to come more back into the office as we scaled or as we built that through, I made a lot of mistakes where I would just overshare where my brain was in the hope that my team that I'd brought together would filter and pick that out. Mm. The reality was what I did was I gave people fifty tasks on top of their day job, mm. uh, and an email that I would forward is a good idea, which I felt fell into one of their boxes without any constructive action, leave anything caused real challenge in our business until I was aware of that. Mm. And so actually one of the ways that we addressed that was I would end up having monthlies or quarterlies as a business. I'd be really vulnerable on this and say, this is the priorities for the business. There's the cash in the bank. There's the challenge. Here's what we need to get to. You all want autonomy. You all want paid more. You all want all the different things. Here you go. I say yes to everything now, and we review it when we we hit these KPIs in a month's time. And so when we look at COVID, and this was sort of around the seesaw of that, Mm. we were all forced to look at outcomes rather than micro inputs as leaders and managers because we couldn't watch everyone on a desk day to day. Uh, and nor did we, nor, well, some wanted to, but I didn't. I wanted that trust. I'm a hugely trusting person, which is my downfall at times if if you have a difficult employee or people that just want mm. to do the bare minimum. You're, you're never, that 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 chem- chemistry just does not work. Yeah. And so my point was always, look, I will, I will go into battle with you. I'll lead the battle. I'll take the strategy, but just meet me halfway. Just, just talk to me when there's too much on. That doesn't mean you can say I've got too much on and I say, okay, drop it all. We do have to kind of hit these numbers. 
but Kieran had a wonderful idea to bring in share options that we didn't have at the start. And so that was a really interesting challenge from kind of a board level of convincing that some of your shares for the future are going to incentivize the employee shares. But giving ownership allowed us to give a bit of ownership and take off some of the, the responsibility that kind of builds up to all these different things. Um, and so, yeah, what I've learned and what I tried to do, and I don't think I got it right at all in the early parts of the years, was listen more. I certainly wanted to hear the problems, but I also wanted to bring suggested solutions. Okay, mm -hmm. if this is in your world and I can't see that and you want to own that, so you want to go from um, a support manager to a support lead of the managers, well, then you're going to have to answer this because right now I'm going home thinking about getting to bed at three in the morning and I've got a pitch tomorrow for 100 grand to support the business and pay salaries that you're not even aware of, but I've also then got to answer for hr issues that, that mm. could have been nipped in the bub if you'd brought some solutions or just thought like a human um and so that's what i've tried to bring in and something that i certainly will move forward i think in bob for example we have three co-founders we have myself from kind of the chairman leader point of view the visionary and the, and the pitch and the investment we have um will who has come from a, an operational detailed background like kieran did and we have max kind of the marketing and the visionary in the journey my job is to make sure that I understand all what's going on, but I don't step on their toes and trust them to deliver that. And making sure that someone like Will will absolutely wear the cap of HR operations and people. So you will go to Will, but I will be aware of them. I will be that supportive journey as we build, but that is your go-to point because Will will be very, very clear in the journey of yes, no, and why. Mm. I want to take on those problems and help them, but might not necessarily answer and I think for managers and leaders that are in your network listening to this, I think some will be going, God, yeah, God, I couldn't work with you, Mike. Like, you, I need a clear answer and decision. But I think others will be completely getting it saying, I'm a bit like you or I work with people like you. And I understand now that all their intentions are normally in the right place in terms of growth, but their articulation and the detail, they come at it from the top down and someone might come from the bottom up. And so it's learning to meet with each other in the middle to ultimately hit the goals that we set as a business and if none of that's clear you've got to go back four steps and go what's your strategy for the next three months yeah and and I think those you know those boundaries and those lines of communication and and that make people give the people the clarity around who they should be talking to about what and what to expect in return based on who you're talking to is really helpful because so many of the organizations I work with are really experiencing challenges around negativity gossip you know whatever's going on and the, and some people say well I don't want to hear about that. that's not my role because I'm too busy doing this or I want to hear about it I keep saying come and talk to me about it but people aren't going and talking about it and and it's it's how you then bridge that gap and it's and for me it's often about having the right people who have the right skill set but also just who you have the relationship with and it's if you've got someone who is quite open and honest about people are not my thing actually trying to sit down with them and you know, be in be in their shoes understand their experience and so on if that's not my thing then fine but be really honest and open about that and find someone who is their thing because you can't just eliminate that role from your company you need someone who can offer that ear and, and allow people to have their voice and to problem solve and so on and I think when people realize they haven't got to be everything to everyone and they've got to be quite honest about what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are and look to do something about that in terms of self-development or getting the right people in. Um, I think it goes a long way, but I think too many people who are quite senior in companies want to believe they can do everything. And I guess that's also then partly what builds to that or leads potentially to burnout because people realise there is too much or they're trying to do stuff that just doesn't fit and if it doesn't fit and, and we know it's not quite right, and so as noise is still around because they're not able to draw a line under it, that for ourselves is quite is overwhelming. I agree. There's, there's three things I would add to that in my employee engagement expert days under Stribe because I spent a lot of time just listening. And, mm -hmm. and, and what became very, very clear was that the problems tend to be caused, we've just said this from a leadership point of view, and for me, it wasn't necessarily that they weren't doing the right things. It's because each leader or each previous group of leaders had just layered on another strategy element or another thing into the business of building blocks 
without removing the old one. And so what we think is a reset, we spend time as a leadership team going, this is strategy, we're going to do this forward. Everyone's still aware of the challenges that, or the things that they've got to be doing previously. No one said, don't worry about that anymore. The comms piece. And so, you know, if anyone's ever played with Lego or Jupiter with the children, I love Lego, by the way, if you build that tower too full, it will fall over. If you put two bananas on top of each other, they will crumble and they will fall over. And so you've got to kind of keep it simple. The KISS model is, you know, KIS, keep it simple is just exactly that. Like the distill, you know, as, as a leader, it'll take you seven to 20 times to say a message once and it'll probably get to the front line of a staff of like 150 staff. And so if you're giving up after the first time to your managers, you, that's going to crumble. Yeah. The second point. The second point is around surveys. So we used to sell engagement software and surveys, and I used to become so frustrated in the market because everyone delivers a survey. We all do in one way, shape, or form. We ask our employees. We do two things wrong. We only ever ask what questions. We don't understand the why, which comes to sentiment analysis, key phrase extraction, and the journey of people's perceptions. It's not what the question is; is why you feel the way you are what are we going to do about this and why are we going to do it there's those that that really changes systemic behaviors in, in an organization and and part b of that is doing something with the data so back to the point if you take a survey most surveys will have 50 questions in them because everyone gets involved and does that if you ask what and why questions you can deliver the perfect survey in seven questions because the why gives you fifty thousand responses that you want the reason you don't do that is you don't have the right software. So from Stride's point of view, we looked at going, it's the quality of data that we care about, but no one's quantifying that in a way in which in the system. And so we used to sell against that. We said, no, we've got Microsoft Forms. We've got our survey. We've got our data. Great. When did you last ask your survey? We asked it in May 2023. Brilliant. What have you done with the data? Well, we've got summer coming up and we're doing this. Right. You've just lost half your staff. Yeah, we have got a really bad retention rate. I'm telling you why. You've asked people questions. You haven't done anything with the data. Mm. Well, we're going to do, you know, we're going to do a summer day. How many questions did you ask? We asked 49 questions. So you have a 49 point action plan, do you, for each of your groups? Yep, yep, leadership hierarchy. Right, so you're looking at that in a vertical point of view. Yes. What about if you look at it from a cross-reference point of view of ethnicity, diversity, manager, male, female? Suddenly, groups of people don't need to be leadership, frontline employee, cleaner. It can be all females in the BAME community that are feeling the same problem. And if you then address that, data in the right way you've got change mm. and so it's quite easy to do and this, this is what you you, you you do you know this is this is your bag and but that's where i became so frustrated of i could help organizations get the change but it came down to two reasons why they wouldn't buy the product um and and one was the fact that they weren't actually doing anything with the data and the other is they didn't believe in the change or want to change what they were doing a lot of HR leaders are on a path to just get to the next level. And so doing it the right way, right yeah. being what's always been done, doesn't change the behaviors. And the CEO goes, you're the HR leader. I see you, you've got the experience rather than going, what are you doing with the data? What are we physically doing with that question? And the why is, I mean, for me, that's the everything. That's what, you know, once you ask that question, you can straight away identify where you need to provide support, what needs to change and and so on. But I know, I've and I've had a conversation uh, literally just before um, jumping onto this call uh, with a, a director who was saying, um, if I asked the why, and it wasn't through a service, it's through having one-to-ones, um, there are some particular challenges in their team. Um, and I was, you know, talking about actually you need to understand what you need, need to call out certain behaviours that aren't okay, but ask the why ask for their experience and the response was well I'm going to be opening this can of worms there's going to be so much I'm just going to be uh I want to lead and I want people to do what I need them to do but if I ask always why stuff and I then am I surely I'm validating all their fears and then that's going to be so overwhelming <laughs> it's like well if you don't ask they're still there the fears are just there but that's what is under the surface and causes all the unhelpful behaviors that we experience and so actually knowing about them, we can reassure or we can, you know, you can validate them and you can response with, respond with empathy. We can give correct facts uh, which to replace the, you know, incorrect ones that the imaginations come up with or whatever needs to happen. But you need to understand why people are 
behaving or thinking in the way that they are it goes back to what you're saying about you know it's it's the, it's the emotional bit that drives behavior and if we don't understand someone's emotional their motivation for something we can't change anything and one of the most successful programs that i saw kieran and lucy implement particularly in large organizations where that challenge was the can of worms the resource the time the journey is when you put the buck back onto the employees you know this isn't this isn't the leader and the manager's 100 percent responsibility mm. in terms of the full cake it is in terms of their role but when you look at the business entity and the partnership you know it's it's not you know Mr. and Mrs. Employee coming in to work for an organization doesn't mean you're working just for that manager or that leader. You, you know, you have to uphold these values on the front line. And it's very, very, EY do a fantastic job of articulating that on the front line from, from the mistakes that they made in the past around the fact of how they conduct themselves as employees outside of work, you know, mm. behaviors with um, uh, customers, clients, partners, et cetera. Th that can be easily defined. But, you know, it's about when success comes and we saw this with bolton council and one of the questions was would you recommend us as a great place to work and wigan lee college were the same in the northwest and they had a 97 percent response rate that employees would recommend over a year their their um their friends and family is a great place to work now most organizations ask that question and get surprised at the start without doing the work in between which is sorting out the backyard that that is an overall question that adds all the little bits of mm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, mm. are you fed? Are you watered? Are you are you paid enough? Mm. Of course, you're not going to recommend a great place to, to to live if you've never had a one to one in the last twelve months. Mm. Um, and, and understanding the settings. So, I have two hats. I I missed a lot of this in in my previous businesses. If my employees listen to this, they will laugh and go, "Mike, well, we didn't have many one to ones." And and I'll turn around and say, "Yes, but I was out on the road and growing." But I didn't stop and listen to the wise enough, and that's I learned that. But it's easy from the outside point of view to give this wonderful structured hierarchical advice to do so. Um, but when you're in the reeds, it's so so important to take a day out. You know, if you're a manager or leader, speak to the person above you, or if you're the one in charge, go to a coffee shop, get out of that environment and the day today is spent on sorting out the why the people in the structure where does all this fit in boxes and how does that all come together and you'll be so surprised at probably three fixes that you need yes empowering your employees and saying this is part of your handbook you the behaviors we expect from you are this and if, if you stamp that out i mm. don't have 50 people so in those one-to-ones what are you what can you do about it mr and mrs employee as much as I'm going to take that burden and understand that for you, suddenly that helps the conversation and, and hopefully provides another soldier on the front line in your business to advocate what you're trying to fix rather mm -hmm. than by yourself as a leader. And that really resonates with me in terms of you're, you're stripping back. You're actually just, rather than uh, what a lot of companies are doing, which is making things way too complicated by grabbing hold of parent solutions to solve their problems, so like actually you probably don't need to buy in anything at all. You just need to listen to your people and find out what's going on. Um, that comes through really good conversations. I was having a conversation uh, with someone about, I can't, surely I can't be someone's, I'm not sure he said friends. And I'm not sure whether you would agree or disagree that you should be friends with your employees, but that sense of having a positive relationship where we can have a laugh together, we can switch off from work, we can know each other in a more personal way. But he's saying, well, how do I do that? And then turn around with the next um, sentence and be quite direct about something because their behavior is not appropriate. You know, I've asked them, I've made it quite clear what expectations are that, that are and they're not fulfilling those. And my response to that was actually, if you have a really good relationship with people, it's much easier to have the frank conversations you need to have rather than the only time I interact with you is if I've got a concern or if I... Um, um, unhappy about something or whatever it is it's much easier if you get on with someone and you feel you like that person and you connect with that person and you know you've got time with that person to then bond in a way that you can have a, a laugh and have some banter and have a chat about whatever outside of work but also when I then have to deliver the hard messages or ask the hard questions and potentially challenge a little bit that's going to land better because we have a mutual respect and we trust each other to be, to be asking that and having that conversation for the right reasons. 
one of my biggest personal leadership struggles was that one. Um, from the world that we came from with building Toot Toot and the mission was so clear, it was very, very easy to get people bought in and want to because of their own experiences that they suffered and resonated. Mm. And so I was very much led on a family approach. You know, Toot Toot is a family. We are a family. We look after and the values were there. But I also over time, and and this is my character, is I'm positive. I, I sometimes don't want to have the hard conversations or, or or confuse negativity with the hard conversations. And so it's very, very easy to lead on the, the positive values. And then where it was easy to have those difficult conversations where was when employees wanted to listen. So we would go to the pub, we would have those conversations, we would do days and we would talk about it openly where there was pushback or continuous challenge for myself that used to wear me down when I was tired as it was. And so found it easier to potentially avoid those conversations, but that caused more problems over time by doing so than stamping that out. And I think one of the things, and this might be a little bit contradictory in what we're saying, one of the things that I'll be taking going forward is trusting my gut on uh, removal decisions a lot, a lot more than I did um i didn't really have a good framework for understanding when someone wasn't right for the time or the culture the team or me you know I i'm creating my team to deliver my results and mm. so that sometimes became blurred with what other people need in their teams and their wants and opinions but i've got to manage this particular type of person and so bringing in a um a negative general person from a cultural point of view that that lo loves detail and needs to know everything from the start and can't do a task 100 percent that's my fault for bringing that person into my team because i don't manage in that way mm. and so if the business trusts me to deliver as a ceo or a commercial director mm. it's my duty to actually do that and and therefore we all become very very scared of the hr journey and and, and, and the legalities and what can come from employees and and, and i completely respect that um and it's got to be done the right way. But from a sales point of view, that was the easiest role to remove. You had a clear target. You didn't deliver that target. We worked together. We'd go out on the road together. We'd try everything and you just weren't hitting it. And it just wasn't right for you. It wasn't right for the sector. We agreed to move on. I, I did not enjoy the process of removing someone that I liked from the business, but I found that easy. The rest of the business was a nightmare because it was all part of the overall goal. And so... COVID helped in the sense that business had outcomes and each unit then had an outcome. And so did we deliver that? No, we've got no money in that unit. So I'm really sorry you were aware how stressful this is. We've now got to make some changes and we'll look after you as best we can. And so that's something that I spent so probably four or five years not getting right in my business at the start around the other functions. And whether it was a cultural challenge or not, it was a lot easier to to remove mm. by not hitting performance. You know, if 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 you, I believe if you're culturally not a fit for the culture you're trying to create, that person needs removed. Doesn't matter how good they are. I would rather have an apprentice that's going to give me the world. I will pay them the world within two years if they demonstrate to me that they'll go to the halfway to the moon for me. I will go the rest of the way for them, mm. rather than here's my experience. You must pay me. You know, seventy thousand, eighty thousand, two hundred thousand, fifty quid, whatever that number is, and then I'll demonstrate to you that behavior for me is actually I didn't do that. Mm. I would happily go and do something for someone to prove my worth. And if they don't think that worth is what it is, then I'm not going to do it again for you. Um, but also, I think I'm worth quite a bit of money for that particular task. But mm. if you don't think that, that's I'm, thanks very much, and off we go. And that takes quite a bit of time to trust and get right you know we spend too long sometimes trying to sell ourselves financially as leaders or sell ourselves culturally or sell something to people that are never going to buy our traits and our services and so it's it's okay it's not always on you as a leader something that took me a long time to realize a lot of it is mm. but actually a proportion of it is on the person that's in your team and they have their own reasons as to why they're feeling that way or mm. or against you mm. that's got to someone's got to go something's got to give and it, otherwise nothing nothing happens and that's a really pragmatic view because you know on your linkedin one of the things um phrases that jumped out for me was people product profit in that order and i think sometimes people confuse you know putting people first means i've just got to do whatever makes people happy mm -hmm. and we 
you know, we are now in a a time where actually we are bending over backwards just to do everything and flex entirely to meet every whim of every employee. And it's it's not for me, I don't think it's not about that. And I think you're how you're describing it, Mike, is is you know, it's not about just being soft and accommodating of everything. It's have you have your hard lines, you have very clear expectations and you stick to those but you can still focus on what's right for people because you are one of those people it's not all about your employees you are one of the people it has to be right for a hundred percent and if if you went and interviewed half my team that i previously worked with them to to describe i'd hope they'd give lots of the flaws that i'm getting to the point of trying to learn in terms of being vulnerable but i always showed vulnerability but what I, what I, and what, and what never happened when I showed vulnerability was I was taken advantage of. That never happened. I, I can onset as a leader when you show some vulnerability. The, if, if there was a, anyone that sort of thought that was silly, it was never said or, or heard back from other leaders. It was always well respected from the team and, and the management conversations from those leaders found it easier because they could point to Mike's vulnerability. But look, he's still mm-hmm. doing X, Y, and Z. And I think, we're in a really difficult time. I can't remember what generation I am at 33, but you know that <laughs> my, my wife has a wonderful um, PR business and has an incredible team. And I'll give some really um, forward examples, and I don't mean to be unpolitically correct or anything like that, but in a PR agency, she and her business partner are incredible at growing people in their team, making really fast decisions and doing lots of different things. And and I'm not, and they're female. And they've tried to bring in a couple of men, probably similar to myself, to help grow the vision, not as detailed as they are. And it completely buggered up their culture of a team of eight girls that are smashing it. And Amelia and Saskia are very, very conscious about being diverse and supporting. And I'm saying it's about the right people for the job. Your roles are diverse as they are in what you're doing. And therefore, don't put me in there because I'm not going to go and do the right job for you. I'm going to be too slow and too boring and too annoying for you. Whereas you girls are on this trajectory. And in the same way, we worked really, really well by having diverse thoughts of male, females and different um, ethnicity, because it was a cultural piece of toot that we're trying to deliver. I'm going to put my hat on, on, on out there right now and say, Bob's probably going to be male led for the first five, six, 10 employees because mm-hmm. we're selling to men. And I think females will do a better job of marketing as we grow, but I need, I need Bob's Bob, Bob needs to be typical guy like me that gets it and drives forward and goes, that needs done now. And Bob needs a shout out and Bob needs that. And, and, and our market will definitely be females and males that buy for partners, people alike. And I definitely want amazing talented females and advisory board that support that for the right things. But I do think it's going to be a, a natural journey of, fitting culturally and, and and everything around that and then you bring age in the point i was trying to get to is you bring the, the the kind of age i love an older employee and i love an older employee because they do the work first and then they get rewarded and i i would reward them in the same way as another person the other way around younger generations come in and say i expect this before i even start and that is absolutely fine i'm not saying that's right or wrong but the younger generations don't realize that the older generations have worked in the opposite way in my my experience overall. And I sit right in the middle of that. Of I want the young talent for what they can bring and they can achieve, but I can't afford the £60,000 starting fee without any experience. I trust you're going to get there, but you've got to demonstrate that to me through the journey. And I will pay you as fast as I can at the rate of the growth, but you can't say I can't work for you if it's not there and hold me to ransom. On the flip side... I feel that people that get on with their job are, are almost being lost and neglected. And they're the ones that are, you know, waiting for their monthly review to get their pay rise when they're running a whole unit. Yeah. And, and and therefore leaders have to be aware of both of that, that you don't put all of your time into the, the needy, loud, stereotypical young voice versus the quiet doer that's got the job done and is actually running your business behind the scenes and knows more than you, because if you lose them versus losing them. Now, of course, for political correctness, there are, flip sides of both of them in that journey but that is what i have found to be a challenge in my leadership journey of getting that balance right between all the different aspects of it 
Yeah, because equality, you know, fairness and equality is something that is so important for people now. And that is something that I know in the company I'm working with at the moment is an issue because they mm-hmm. see different people working in different ways. And it's like, well, that's not how, that's not my experience. And it's come about because it's organic over time, things change and different people have different circumstances and so on. But people often want things to be the same for everyone. And actually, we need to challenge that sometimes in terms of is that right to expect everything to be the same or is it about explaining to people the why and making sure it does feel fair but in different ways and that's a, that's a hard one that's the middle of the question if you can get that right lisa then well yeah i have an opinion on that yeah i, I wish i had the <laughs> answer i think let's let's take a real life example of chat gpt and the open ai elements that are coming in the conversation in any sector that you're in let's just take legal for example as just my perception of it all you are going to need both sets of individuals for the next number of years to make this happen you are going to need knowledge and experience from the old generations over time that that don't know how to use a spreadsheet still but can tell you all the answers and keep the customers happy in the journey and the way to do things and drive that forwards but you're also going to need these incredible whiz kids. It doesn't need to be kids. It can also be the old generation that do the AI, but bear with me on the journey to picture what we're doing here, mm. that are going to need to code and adapt and change your systems to make sure that when these old generations retire, because let's face it, we have a, a systemic challenge where there's not enough new talent managers coming through in relation to what's about to retire in the last five years. Mm. Paul Hamlin, if you've heard of him or if anyone's heard of him, is absolutely incredible organizational Um developist i would say um and he used to support me in incredible things he was the um copd well-being lead and organization development lead for northwest in manchester look him up speak to him he'll give you all the time of the day his perception on how to adapt and change things 40 years ago hasn't changed now but his ability to make you aware of how you plug things in in that moving framework it's just mm-hmm. fantastic and so what what would I suggest? I think from an outside point of view, all of us, from employees to CEOs to business owners, need to understand our shelf lives. My shelf life, from what my experience is, is that zero to A in that time. Most non-executive directors, if you've got them on your board past two years, they must be giving you some fantastic value. And if they're on your business and they're past the two years and they haven't said to you, I've given you everything, they're taking a good salary off you. And that's my experience. Every every set of non-execs that we changed via our own choice or theirs, but we didn't know what that meant, had a two-year shelf life. And the best ones that I've had have stood up and said, I'll either go to chairman or I'm out. You need some new blood. And I've given you everything. I've given you a black book. I've given you the time and the time has moved. And so a lot of the challenges came from the, the, the balance between your hiring strategy are you hiring for the job in hand today or are you hiring for someone in three years time? And if you're trying to do both, you'll fail. And and also my challenge back is, and I've learned this so I can say it, why are you hiring for someone in three years time when you've got a burning cash flow now, you've got customer challenges now, you've got IT challenges now, hire for now. And they might not be right in the next one to two years, but that will come from good culture, good development, good everything. But be really transparent on where you're at you think there's certain industries that can have fantastic individuals with 30 40 years experience mm. but there isn't many people that's working in industries now for that long my my mum work, works for a, a vet, veterinary practice up in the northeast and she starts off in a family business and loved it um and then that got bought into a group of four or five and still liked it and to be honest with you she's she's struggling now because the, the corporate top-down approach is putting systems and processes in place that it's not the way that she's done it in the past. And also they're not listening to her old way. Mm-hmm. And there's a real clash between nine times out of 10, mom will come home and go, remember that thing I talked about with four months, I was told to be quiet. Yeah. They came back to me and said, remind me again of that. And they've re-put the systems back. But rather than listen and have that conversation back to our first points of communications, understanding each other's balances, it was, no, this is the new way of doing it. We're going to bulldoze through because it's a great strategy without looking at what's happened in the past oh, it didn't work, quick scramble back, what did you do previously? Oh, now you want my voice, now I feel engaged again. And so this challenge of 
building and growing if we don't stop and start and get that right and have different cultures forming you're, you're going to have micro cultures you're going to have challenges whether it be from an age point of view demographic point of view any of those elements are going to cause problems there's a lot to think about isn't there and I, and what's what i'm intrigued by is your you have you clearly learned a lot on your journey <laughs> you you have um you're very self-aware you're um you're quite clear about the direction you're going in you're you've got clear views on um what works what doesn't do you ever experience what so many people experience but don't admit that imposter syndrome or those kind of wobbles around gosh what is it I'm actually trying to do or am I good enough or have I got this right or because your confidence Mike which obviously you have to have as an entrepreneur and you know CEO and so on it kind of you're exuding it and actually you've talked also about being vulnerable and I wonder how open and honest you are with other people about your what's going on inside your head sometimes that doesn't always necessarily come across in your body language or your words <laughs> great question well that's got them on the spot uh my confidence is a self-taught mask i started wearing glasses as a shield not needing glasses and now i don't have them off because i now need them that's my own fault mm. but that became a way of suddenly having to deliver an assembly after selling my first product to a school behind the scenes and realizing there was 800 kids and I hadn't scripted that in a story and I had to, in five minutes, explain what Tutu was to me, how to use it and where to go. And so uh, I had some old glasses that had no frames in them, but I put them on as a way to go, let's do this. And back to that point of all the learnings and building confidence, it's just time. It's time on the ground. Um, you know, public speaking terrifies me still to this day. But I've been lucky enough to win Tech Nation's Rising Stars, um, four hundred and thirty, uh, lots of different pitches. That comes, and anyone that knows me will laugh at this, from walking corridors the night before in hallways and talking to myself and people laughing at me. It comes from a complete rehearsal. I, I enjoy these conversations, Lisa, because I feel comfortable. If you put me on stage to ad lib and have a discussion or talk about a topic, I would crumble and fail and cry. Um, most of my presentations are learnt pitches. I have a model of three points per slide and I learn them to the point. So even if I forget, I move on. Imposter syndrome all the time. Terrified. I think what I've learnt over time is to stick to my values, which is to be as honest as I possibly can be and to tell people I don't know something but go and find the answer. I think business CEO whatever that might be is a sales job it's a sales job to your people it's a sales job to your business it's a sales job to what you do and so everybody is a salesperson you're a salesperson when you when you pitch for the next job you're a salesperson when you ask your friend to go to the pub and get them to come with you rather than stay for an extra one one for the road there's there's skills in there that you won't even realize an individual oh, I couldn't public speak yeah but you do in front of 50 friends it's just mm -hmm. you know where you sit in that hierarchy or you don't because mm -hmm. you feel inferior and so learning those skills and, and equally on the flip side of that, listening. I talk a lot. I talk a lot because I think a lot because it helps me to get it out of my head. I walk a lot. I can't stand still on the phone and I get very, very excited. I'm hyperactive. My challenge is to shut up and listen sometimes and not push through the pitch of the sale and the growth and the journey. And that's that. That's the real challenge to me. I've got a fantastic call uh, sharing openly with, with some investors in the UAE this evening. There's some fantastic questions that are coming through. Um, some of them are, I, I won't name names, but some of them are very, very excited for the journey. I'm terrified because I've got two other co-founders that are looking at me and relying on me and my experience to bring in our first 100,000. I am running out of money personally. I've got six weeks to go and to start looking for work, but Bob is the way forward. So that just drives a passion and a want to go. I love a timeline. Mm -hmm. you, you can tell people what your timeline is. You're either going to make it or you're not. And you know what? If you keep doing the right things, there's a great person that used to work with me um, called Max Hopkinson. He's He runs an agency called Bind. He's in the Northwest. He he set up lots of different things. There's um, Keynote Speaker Club, and he did that because he wasn't great at public speaking, so he rehearses and get people in. Um, it's consistency. And I used to just get really bored by him at times, and he knows this in terms of he would keep telling me and doing the same things. Like, oh, I'll learn that later. I'll read this later. It wasn't about the fact that I didn't like reading books. It was the fact that I didn't enjoy the consumption through reading. 
but I love podcasts. Mm. And so when someone said to me, have you read this book, read this book? I felt really inferior because I'm not academic at all. I, I, I didn't read a single book at university and got a first, but I got a first through cramming, learning and pictures and then spewing that information. And so podcasts go in and mm. the verbal goes in and the journey goes in, but it took me a while to find that through. So yeah, I'm nervous on this podcast, but I'm also excited about the topics that I speak about. I, I just, I just love setting up businesses and what comes with this. It's, it's kind of the thing that I do. And so, you know, I'm terrified of money. I, I'm a risk taker, but I'm terrified of money. Great for investors because they know I won't run out of money in certain degrees. Rubbish for teams that want to try and get budget when they know they need it. And I'm going, yeah, but we're going to run out in seven months. He goes, yeah, but you know, you could run out in six months, or you could smash the business. And so, you know, from a personal point of view, I've learned to be like, it's okay. Obviously, don't run out of money, mm-hmm. but certainly. Don't don't give up your dreams and go and get a job and fall it for me fall into that trap of have the children wish I'd followed the dreams and do that if I don't force myself through I won't be happy in that journey and I think that's my north star as part of that. So what would be your one top tip that you would want people who are listening to this podcast to take away because you've covered quite a few ideas as we've gone through this conversation I'm just wondering what would be your number one message I think in relation to our conversations prior to this podcast and particularly what you do and what we were hoping to get out of this because I'm very aligned on that from the Mm. point of view is as a leader manager or or a listener of leases I think it's about self-awareness and 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 if you're not self-aware take a moment and you know, if you've got a million things going on from a personal point of view, normally, you know, I had family issues and challenges and all that comes with it, that is going to affect your job. And so just remember as a leader, even if you're at the top of the tree, there should be someone around you to talk to or to offload or to share. Communication at every level is key. If you're a leader that is running your own business with lots of people and you don't have anyone to talk to, speak to Lisa, go and find someone like that, that can have that conversation and help you to break down those challenges. Because my top tip is about learning to prioritize, because I am useless at that, Mm. you know, and boxing everything in what you've got to do. I become very overwhelmed. If I get five things at me, I crumble. If I can focus on something and and deliver that and, and offload or ask people for help, in the areas that they love, remember that. It's not about offloading. It's finding people that can do those bits. You lose that steam and that challenge that can make you tired. And I suppose final, final point is if you are at a point of, I'm going to lose it, I'm going to break, you've got to take a day off. You've, you've got to reevaluate what you're doing. You've got to speak to your business because I thought that was just exhaustion and tiredness from a road, but I was lucky enough to catch hmm. what was burnout and it took me six months to recover. So my one bit of advice would be you've got a lot on you've got a lot of journey around it. Just just look after yourself and be self-aware of what's around your world. And having that courage to take a day off and say, I just need to have a moment and and communicating with your team, particularly when you're a leader, is so empowering. And I spoke to um, uh, a great guy, Theron Knight and Fit recently. He's also a guest on this podcast and he um uh, was role modeling he said to his team that he was taking a sick day because he was just like just didn't feel great um no particular illness but he just needed a day out he, he regretted it when he ate lots of popcorn and broke two teeth <laughs> in the oh. process but the the idea was was a good one um the consequence is not so good um mike before i let you go i want to ask you a blind question and i think this is a great one for you so another guest of mine dr karen cripps um has ask this question she said find the right guest to present this to i was like you'll be the you'll be the right one (laughs) if you woke up in the future where humans were all in harmony with the planet what would that look like for you well that's a great question for me we'd all have to be in harmony with each other in the sense that I think in extreme examples of war right now and what's going on in multiple places that's that's male chauvinism that's political challenges that's religion that's history that's everything that comes with 
what we see on the news and the portrayal of that and 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 the heroism of the negativity i i'm an emotional intelligent person and i feel emotion and i hate arguments i hate discussions but debates are good in that sense i mean negative discussions of someone falling out with someone or behind the scenes talking about someone I just do not like that 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 kind of model of that so i think if everyone was positive towards one another not to the point in which you know too much sugar cracks your teeth or too much popcorn mm -hmm. but i think if we were all balanced with one another and respected one another's views and things in a much better way i think that would naturally help what i think you're referring to as the planet being the physical thing and so we'd do better for that so that would be my response if that if that's, that's a, a decent answer, answer. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. I'm very grateful for you fitting this in. I know you've got lots of very important other conversations happening today. So I'm um, hugely grateful. I love listening to you because your energy is just infectious and your and, and your lessons that you've learned and you've been able to share and just being honest about what you still find challenging actually will be also um, quite refreshing for other people. It normalises that life is challenging so huge huge thank you to you thank you for having me Lisa. i really appreciate it and love your podcast so thank you i hope you enjoyed the conversation today i invite you to think about one thing that you will take away to think about or do differently i'd be really grateful if you can give me a thumbs up on apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and for an extra brownie point leave me a short review I'm really keen to help drive real change for better practice in the world of people at work and spreading the message will help that. I'd love you to also join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things that I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. Please do reach out to me directly to discuss the topics covered on this podcast or perhaps other challenges around people at work. And if we're not already acquainted on LinkedIn, please connect. All the links you need are in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now.